well, we are in a series uh, called uh, Living uh, a Mission. And what we've been talking about is the fact that uh, our church has a mission. If you look in your worship uh, folder, you will see that on the back of that. It is to reach our neighborhood and surrounding uh, uh, communities with the love of the Father, to restore lives to healthy relationship in the Son, and to respond to a move of the Spirit. That is our church's mission. But you actually have a mission as well. Your, your life has a mission. You are here for a purpose. And it is uh, your job to figure out why you're in the neighborhood you're in. Why do you go to the school you go to? Why are you at the work you're at? Why do, are you at the church you're at? What, what is your purpose for being on this planet and using up your carbon credits, okay? What, what, why are you here? Now, for some of us, this is a daunting uh, idea. The fact that you have to figure out why you're here, um, uh, that just sounds difficult. But I'm going to show you this morning, hopefully, that the answer is actually quite simple and uh, quite doable as well. That you actually have a life that means something in the place, your particular context. And so what I want to do this morning is look at a section of scripture in the book of James, uh, and James was Jesus' brother. Well, actually half-brother, half technically. Um, did you know that Jesus was in a blended family? So if you're from a blended family, uh, congratulations. So is Jesus. You're, you're, you're just like Jesus. Jesus, uh, we believe that Jesus' true father was his heavenly father, uh, God, and that he came down in the form of a man. And so he had um, a, 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 a kind of a stepdad, Joseph, and he had his mom, Mary. Well, Joseph and Mary had other kids. And so can you imagine being like the half-brother of Jesus? Would that be the worst thing in the world? Like your, your siblings don't do anything wrong ever. Like he never did anything wrong. He, his room was always picked up. Like it's Jesus, right? Y your dad's always going, why can't you be more like Jesus? You know, whatever, because he was Jewish. That was terrible. Anyway, but, but, but that's what you hear all the time, right? Because it's Jesus is your, is your brother. Well, here, here's the thing that blows my mind. James didn't actually follow Jesus while uh, Jesus was having his ministry because that would be a little awkward, right? You know, kind of worshiping your brother. Uh, although my brother's seven years older than I, and I kind of did. So, um, but anyway, uh, so, so he didn't really follow Jesus. And then Jesus died on the cross, and then this is what did it for James. He rose again. <laughs> Jesus rose again. And that turned a light for James, turned a light on. And so James became a follower of Jesus after Jesus had died, had been buried, had uh, risen from the dead, and had ascended into heaven. And so that was James's brother, Jesus. And so James wrote a book. He wrote a, a letter to encourage the churches, and it's, it's like the most practical book you'll ever read. If you are not a Christian, or you don't even believe in the Bible, if you read James, you'll get stuff out of it. You'll read it and you'll go, yeah, that's pretty much true. And so the problem with the book of James is he's all over the map. He needed an editor to kind of put the thoughts together because he'll talk about one thing for a while, and then he'll just switch to something else, and then he'll go to someplace else. And so this was this was James. He just kind of was all over the map. So what we're going to do is we're going to skip all the way to chapter 4. And we're going to talk about uh, something, a question, 
that James asked that I think is so timely for today. It is so pertinent that uh, we're going to be able to take this question, apply it to our lives today, and tomorrow when we go to work, go to school, we're at home, we're going to be able to ask ourselves this question. Uh, I'm not so much concerned about the question as I am the answer that James gives us because this is really, really important. So let's take a look and see what uh, this question that James has in James chapter 4. We call the book of James, James. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That is such a great question. Can you think of your last fight or quarrel? Don't look at your spouse. Okay, can you, can you think of your last fight or quarrel? Did you ever ask in the midst of that fight or quarrel, like right in the middle, to yourself, to yourself, not your spouse, or significant other, uh, what's causing this? <laughs> what, what is causing this disagreement? Maybe it's your friend, you know? Maybe it's your dog. I don't know, but have you had just, you get to that place in the heat of it. We never ask ourselves this question. What? What's going on right now? Why am I upset? Why, why do I feel the way I do? Now, for you, your last fight might have been about something you're really passionate about, okay? Like a social justice issue. And, and, and those are absolutely worth fighting for, okay? Uh, when we talk about poverty, sex trafficking, uh, uh, equal rights, all those things, those are worth fighting for. But, but what is happening inside? What causes fights and quarrels among you? So, so those, the social justice issues um, uh, about equality and all those things, we're going to set those aside for a while. We'll get back to them, but um, just when you're, when you're there. So um, I was uh, driving in... Uh, on my way, I visited my daughter in Phoenix uh, this weekend, uh, or this week with Lisa, and uh, we went to her college. And on the way back, it's weird. So you, you, you drive on the 10 very rapidly, like eight, um, the speed limit, whatever the speed limit is, and that's what you drive, because it's the law, and you obey the law, always. Um, so you're driving the speed limit, and it's, the flow is really great. And then you get to this place um, well, then you get to uh, Blythe, and so uh, I, it wouldn't be a sermon if I didn't make fun of Blythe. And then you go through that, and then you get to um, the Inland Empire, and everybody is on the road at the same time. And I can't figure out for the life of me where they're all going. I know where I'm going. I'm going home, and that is very important. They can't be going anywhere as important than I. They should just get off the road. So there, there you are. You're in there, and it begins to like, kind of mess with me. And I had to ask myself this question, what's, what's causing this? Like, I know there's traffic in L.A. Like, you, duh, it's L.A. I mean, this is just what happens. But what, what's causing it? Maybe for you, you're, you're at home or you're with your friends or whatever, and all of a sudden something begins to heat up and heat up. And James is asking this question, what, what causes that? Can't we all just get along? What, 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 why, why, why do, what causes this? Well, he goes on and he answers the question. And it's not a great answer. And this is going to be a kind of a tough pill for a lot of us to swallow this morning. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Did you know, this is just fascinating to me as I studied this this week, 
There's a battle going on in all of us with our desires. I'll give you one of mine. I desire, I mean, I truly, truly desire to have washboard abs. Like I, I really, really want washboard abs. I would love to look in the mirror and be like, wow, John, you should be in a commercial. Your abs are so amazing, right? That is a desire of mine. There's another desire. Chips. I love chips. So this is a really terrible example of desires that are battling within me. I really want washboard abs. I really want chips. Now, in the course of my life so far, chips have won. Okay, but I'm planning this year for sure to let that desire... See, here's the thing, and I'm going to get land the plane in just a second. We want a desire, but we don't want the process of becoming. I really want to be patient. I I really do. I want to be known as a patient person. I just don't want to become patient, (laughs) okay? I want to be patient right now. (laughs) Does that make sense? You see the irony there? I want to be patient like now. Like, why can't I be patient right now? I don't like the process of becoming. And this is where James hits us right between the eyes. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not? Don't they come from? Can't you see that? Your desires that battle within you. Here's the thing. What you want rarely fulfills your mission. This series is called Living a Mission, that you actually are here for a purpose. What you want in life rarely fulfills that. Now, some of you are saying, John, what I want is really important, and it is. You know, it's not like you're saying, I want a Ferrari, and if I don't get a Ferrari, my life is worthless. I I get that. That would be dismissive and ridiculous. But some of you want a relationship like really bad. And I get that. And I understand that. And in our culture, that's a big deal. Some of you want kids. And you're trying and trying and trying and trying and trying. I, I totally understand that. Here's the question I think that goes deeper. Does that fulfill your mission? Is, is getting into a relationship, is, does that fulfill your mission? Some of you want... Uh, comfort. You want to you get everything you can all buttoned up so that you can retire. That is an absolutely great goal to have. Don't get me wrong. I am not dismissing any of your wants. The question is this. Does that fulfill your mission? What you want, what we want rarely fulfills our mission. It's always funny to me when I preach a sermon like this because I always have to analyze myself first which is dumb. But anyway, it's better if I just judge you guys. But I have to look at myself. And I start watching like all the things I wanted. And some of them really good things. And I look at where I'm at now and I'm wondering, did that fulfill my mission? Oftentimes in my past, I've financed things (laughs) that I didn't even want once I'd been done paying it off. I just wanted it. Did it fulfill my mission? 
Now, here's the thing I promised you. I said, I was going to tell you, kind of let you off the hook a little bit. You're not going to think I let you off the hook when I say it. But this is your mission for everybody. Your mission is to be Jesus to everyone you meet in every situation you come up upon. That's your mission. Now, you're like, oh, wait, thanks a lot. I might as well quit now. It is not to get to a certain place in society. It is not to get a certain education. It is not to be a certain, of a certain stature, to get a certain promotion. Those things are fine. But you can fulfill your mission right now. Right when you walk out those doors, or for those of you on Facebook Live, as you uh, turn this off and go on you, onto your day, your mission is to be like Christ in your thoughts, in your actions. That's your mission in life. Now, here's what James says. Once you lose sight of that, if it's your desires, if there's something that you want, once you lose sight of it, you're going to lose sight of your mission. And here's what happens. He goes on. He says, you desire, but do not have, so you kill. Now, this is one of the problems with James. James uses language to make a point. Like, there's one part in James where he says, essentially, that your words um, are set on fire by hell. Okay? Sorry, but that's what he says. And so you read something like that, and you're like, oh my goodness, James has gone off the deep, deep end. I've never killed anybody. But we forget, James is a brother of Jesus. And what Jesus said was, you got to start thinking about stuff a little differently. For example, do not commit murder, right? So you most of us, I hope, haven't committed murder, right? But Jesus goes on, he says, but I tell you this, don't even be angry. Because if you have, you've committed murder in your heart. And so James is use, using that type of terminology to go, you kill. And then you say, well, I've never killed. But we have killed. Some of us, by pursuing a desire of status, have killed our relationship with our kids. Some of us, for the desire of a relationship, have killed the boundaries we've set up for ourselves. Some of us, in order to get ahead, maybe financially, we've killed our character in some decisions that we've made, either in business or tax season is coming up, and how we do all that kind of stuff. There's lots of ways that we, because of our desires, we kill. I desire rock hard abs, but I kill my bag of chips. No, I'm just kidding around. Right? Somebody wants a scholarship, and so they kill their perspective in life because it's all, it becomes all about that. We want comfort. We desire comfort, and so we kill our own health. See, we do. We, we desire, and in doing so, we kill. So what do we do? Well, he goes on. He says, you covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Here is the $50 million question this morning. What do you want? What do you want? Just think about that for a second. What do you want? And if anyone says world peace, I, I, I just can't, I can't help you with that. What do you want? Like, do you... Think about it. Now you could say, well, I, I just want health for my kids. That's fine, but go, keep going deeper. What do you really want? Because here's what I think. 
At least it's true in my own life. When my desires at the ultimately don't line up with God's desires, I end up killing myself. I end up missing out on all that God would have for me because I'm striving and striving and striving and striving and I've never gone to the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want? I know what I want. So here's what, he, here's what um, uh, James says. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Now, that is kind of an um, unfair statement because some of the things that we want, we actually have asked God. We actually have gone before him. Some of us have uh, health issues with family members, and we've gone to God many, 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 many times. And so this verse seems very um, dismissive. It can. For those of you who want a relationship, who want kids, who want uh, to get out of a certain situation that you're in, you, you have gone to God. So what is James saying? Is he just saying, you didn't, you didn't go to God hard enough, <laughs> right? You didn't pray hard enough. You didn't pray long enough. This is one of my favorites that the Christian community tends to do to each other. We, we faith bash each other. Like, you just have to have enough faith. Like, I can go get it, you know? Like, like if you just had enough faith, you could, you could do anything. Well, Jesus had faith, and Paul had probably more faith than anybody, and yet there were things that Paul asked for that he did not get. And so when James says something like, you do not have because you do not ask God, it's easy to go, well, that isn't true for me, so we dismiss the whole section of Scripture. But he, but he, he kind of nudges us a little bit more to get to the point he's trying to make. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Now again, we might say, there's no way what I'm asking for is with wrong motives. I'm asking for somebody else. And this is not what Paul, P, uh, J, J, Paul Peter, James, Mark, Matthew. Okay, let's go through all the names in the Bible, okay? What James is trying to say. What he's saying is, what do you want? What's your motive? And oftentimes in my own life, I want something, I want to receive a feeling, I want to receive um, uh, something outside of Christ. I want to have a need met outside of Christ. And here's what James would say, here's what Paul would say, here's what Jesus would say. All of your needs, all of your needs can be met in Christ. All of them. Now you say, well, man, you, don't, you didn't get into my mind to <laughs> hear all my needs yet. It, I don't need to. What James, the conclusion James has come to is that all we need is Christ. That that thing you're worried about, whether it be really important, like a relationship or kids or retirement, all those things, while they're important, they won't meet that deep down need of relationship with God that comes through Jesus. And then he kind of gets even more, a little more dismissive, and he says that you might spend it uh, on your pleasures, okay? And you're thinking, man, this guy does not know me very well. The things that I'm asking God for and the things that I, I, I want, they're, they're real. 
But think about this for a bit. And this is going to be a tough lift for a lot of us because we live in a culture that says our needs, our wants, the things we, 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 we want to get out of life, we deserve because, by golly, we're in America. And it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is my right. And while I love America, that is not your life mission. It's not life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you know why? Because it wasn't Jesus' life mission. And our life mission is to become more and more and more like Jesus. And in doing that, as we bring those needs to God, they begin to, God begins to shine the light on what's really deep down and what's really important. Now, if you were offended by James or you felt dismissed by James, um, he's going to move on into some very strong language. And the reason he does this is because he really wants to get the point across that most often, and it's not any fault of ours, we were just born into a broken world, our focus is on the kingdom of this world, our needs, what we want to get out of life, what we think we deserve. But what James will tell you and Paul will tell you and Jesus will tell you, there is another kingdom and it's the kingdom of heaven. And that, if, if your eschatology, which is a fancy word for end times, is that the end of the world is just everything explodes and it's all, it's all gone and new, you're going to have a tough time on this planet for the next, uh, uh, well, certainly four years, but, um, but for, for, for the next, uh, the, the rest of your life. And here's why. Because your focus should not be this world. It should be, how can I be like Christ while I'm living in this world? How do I become like Jesus? So here's the strong language that James uses for us. You adulterous people. Now, turn to somebody and say, no, I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> but watch, watch what he does. Because he, he, he really wants us to ask the question, what do we want what do we really want out of life? And what we want rarely fulfills our mission. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means uh, enmity against God? Or the New American Standard says, makes you an enemy of God? Now you're just like, James, now you're really getting on my nerves. Because <laughs> first you said, I don't ask God, which I do. Then you said, I ask with wrong motives, which I don't. And then you, now you're saying, I'm an enemy of God. What James wants us to see is the stark contrast between the culture of this world, especially in America, that says you are number one. You should have everything you want. You deserve. You were disrespected. Oh, my goodness. That is the worst thing in the world. You were offended. Oh, oi. Well, how, how, how are you ever going to get past that? that? That constant culture of, oh, my goodness, this is terrible for you, to this other culture, the kingdom of heaven, going even in that dark place that you're in right now. At the base of your needs, Jesus can meet you. And your circumstances don't even have to change for you to sense that. So he goes, you're, you're an enemy of God, essentially. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And then, then, then check out the scripture. This is so incredible to me. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? 
This particular verse, if you just read it every day this week, is mind-blowing. Because we have to decide which spirit he's talking about. Is he talking about the spirit of God? Because if so, that's kind of weird. Why would he jealously long for the spirit? That's, that's him, essentially. It's the whole... No, he has created something in us. Our spirit, our soul, what makes us, us. And he longs for that. He made that to dwell in us. In other words, your desires, your mission, your value, who you are, that all comes from God. And he wants it. Do you know why he wants it? Because you were created in his image. And he knows what's best. We sang the song earlier today, You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. That comes from verses just like this one. That God jealously longs that your life would line up with the life of Christ. That you would get through these situations, not by having them solved immediately, but that you would become like Christ. The Word of God says this. We put our old life aside and we are being transformed day by day by day by day. It says, in one other section of Scripture, it says, now we see in a mirror dimly. But then we'll see face to face. In other words, as we work out our salvation, the Bible says, with fear and trembling, we become more and more and more like Christ. And that process, God jealously longs for. And so when we want things that are outside, when we desire things that are not necessarily in line or or we think that those wants are going to fulfill something in our life, God says, no, 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 no. All those desires can be filled in Christ. Those things are great when you get them and it's okay to want them and all that, but if you're looking to fulfill your mission or you're looking to to finally reach a goal and it's outside of becoming like Christ, you're gonna be frustrated and you're going to end up, quote unquote, killing yourself trying to be satisfied. Those desires end up killing us. So he has all this language about being an enemy with God, um, you're an adulterous people, like all these things that seem like he's he's coming down on us, right? And then he just says this wonderful word. uh, But he gives us more grace. (laughs) This means that no matter where you are right now in in the whole want uh, spectrum, like let's say you're just a terrible person and you want to be rich and you want to be left alone and you want to be powerful and you want to abuse people, whether you're there, okay, and that's your wants, you're just, it's all about you, or you want really great things. We're all going to fall short of that. And so so James knows that. He says he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Now again, these words just oftentimes, um, I wish the, sometimes the Bible didn't use such harsh words because um, it, 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 it makes us feel like, well, I'm not 
proud. What all James is doing is saying, if you are following after your own wants, your own mission, your own self-fulfillment, you are going to come up short, and it is going to end up killing you. And God can't help you do that. He's a good, good father. It's who he is. He, He can't support that mission. But if we're humble... And we begin to go before our Heavenly Father and begin to say things like, Lord, I really want this relationship really, really, really bad. (laughs) What do you want? What do you want from me? I really, 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 really want this promotion. What do you want? I really, really, really want to get into this school. What do you want? I really, really, really want to buy this thing no matter how big or small or whatever. What what do you want? This is the soul, this is the spirit that God made to dwell in you that he jealously longs for. He wants you to ask. And in that process, he will begin to show you and show you and show you and you will be lifted up. You will be elevated. You will be shown favor by God. Now, what's scary about that is his answer may be, you're not supposed to go to that school, you're not supposed to be in that relationship, and you're not supposed to have that 7 Series BMW. Okay. Which, apparently, he's telling me right now as I speak. I'm not allowed to have it. Right? That's the scary part. But here's what God knows. If you begin to pursue those things and you do not ask him, he doesn't punish you and like go, oh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you, I'm going to break your leg. Ah, you know, he doesn't do that. He just says, listen, when you're ready, after you've done that, I'll be right here waiting for you to ask. And then I will support you in what my answer is. What you want rarely fulfills your mission. So then he gets into all this great, great uh, language, and we'll run through this relatively quickly, but um, if you want to go back to it this week, it's in James chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It's almost like James' 10 commandments. There's like 10, 10 things that James, James says, because for a lot of us, we go, well, what do we do next? You know, I, I wanted this stuff all my life, and now I'm supposed to be asking God about it. You know, how does that all work? And so James goes into this just real, like, rapid fire. Submit yourselves then to God. This is the number one thing. This is that statement, that, I, that question that I asked just a little bit earlier. God, I know what I want, and I know why I want it. And you, you don't have to be honest with God because he already knows what the truth is. Uh, but you, you, you just be honest with yourself and go, okay, I really want this because my mom, I will make my mom proud. <laughs> Whatever your thing is, you, you get to that place and you go before God and you submit. And you say, Lord, this is what I really want. But even if I don't get it, I want all my needs to be met in you. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you've ever heard that statement, uh, that's where we get it from. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. When I read this particular section of Scripture, you know what I think of? I think of the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is just, it's one of my favorite stories, and essentially it's about this dad who had all this money, and he had two sons, 
And um, it's a story that Jesus tells. And the one son does everything right. And he stays at home and he, 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 he works for his dad and they have all this. And, and you have to understand in this culture, what the other son did was just an incredible, incredible act of disrespect. He asked for his inheritance now. And so basically what would happen is uh, when, the, when a, somebody of wealth dies, the, the son, the firstborn, would get the majority of the, the, the property and all that kind of stuff. And then the other son w- would get um, some as well. But basically what he was saying was, Dad, I wish you were dead. That's kind of what he's saying. I want that now. And so he, he goes off and he squanders it all. And, and, and he wastes it on all, all, all sorts of stuff. What's interesting about the story is uh, when we tell the story, we usually say that he wasted it all on um, women and, and drink and all this kind of stuff. Um, but that's actually what the son says. He, we don't really know what he wasted it on. So as he's a long way off, he's been gone for a long time, as he's a long way off, the father gathers up his robe, which again would have been a um, very hu- humiliating, very humble act. And he picks it up and he runs to his son. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Here's the great thing. If you've been following your life and you've been going, following your own path, your own thing, God doesn't wait for you to come all the way back before he goes, okay, now you're back. All you have to do is turn, and he will come meet you. You see that? I love that. Wash your hands, you sinners. Oh, sorry about that. Turn to another one and say, you are a sinner. Okay. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now watch. Look how serious James is about this. This is how much he's like, guys, we cannot get focused on the stuff of this world. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's going to be a great week for you guys this week. (laughs) And he says this last thing as Adjua comes back up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I want to be lifted up by God. I don't want to be lifted up by a purchase. I don't want to be lifted up by an escape. I don't want to be lifted up necessarily by a relationship or by a promotion or by an inheritance or by something else. I don't want to be lifted up by who's in office. I don't want to be lifted up by my circumstances. Those things will always change. But here's the promise of God. If you would humble yourself, if I would humble myself, and I go before God, before my decisions, and I give him my wants, and I say, God, this is what I want. What do you want? It first starts out with that question for us. What do you want? What is it you're striving for? Because I can promise you this, no matter what it is, that need can be met by Christ.